Welcome to the Dermatology Podcast, the official podcast of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. I'm Christopher Horskamp. And I'm Cécile Mitoire. And we are your hosts. Today's guest is Professor Franco Rangioletti. Actually, the interview was recorded a little over a month ago, but the information is, of course, still very valid. Since 2015, he has been a full professor and chairman at the University of Cagliari in Sardinia, Italy. Also at the University of Cagliari, he's the director of the residency training program in dermatology and venereology. He's the coordinator of the course of dermatology and infectious diseases of the School of Medicine and a member of the Department of the Medical Sciences and Public Health. Beyond his research experience with clinical research, dermatopathology, deposition disorders, metabolic and endocrinologic disorders, cutaneous oncology, skin tumors, melanoma, carcinomas, and immunological diseases, we wanted to catch up with him because he is also currently associate editor of the Journal of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. Professor Rangioletti, thank you for joining us today. Welcome, Professor Rangioletti. Good morning, and, and thanks for your invitation. So we know a bit about your bio. Could you tell us a little bit about your professional journey and your motivation? Yes. Um, My wish has always been to be a doctor uh, since childhood. And I decided that I wanted to be a dermatologist during my medical studies because dermatology is a nice mix of medicine and surgery. Skin diseases are so numerous and variegate that the identification, the diagnosis of a skin condition is similar to, to solving a mystery, eh? like a, a detective sometimes. Eh? The skin is often the window to see inside the body. Eh? Finally, my further wish was uh, to, to have an academic role, to be able to do research and teach dermatology. My professional life took place mainly in Genoa, mm-hmm. in Italy, where I entered the university and became uh, a professor under the uh, guide of my first teacher, who is Alfredo Rebora, now retired. Mm-hmm. But uh, I had experience in France, where I was assistant étranger, uh, in Strasbourg, under the guide of Professor Edward Grossens, who told me a lot about dermatopathology and clinical pathological correlation. He died this month. Mm. It was a a great pain in in my heart, really. Then I went to USA many times uh, to improve my skill in dermatopathology with uh, uh, specialists uh, like uh, Jim Patterson, Ray Barney. Since 2015 until now, I am the chairman of the unit of dermatology at the University of, uh, uh, of Cagliari in Sardinia, mm-hmm. a, a beautiful and a magic island of Italy. Eh? Mm-hmm. I recommend you to come after COVID-19, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we cannot wait to travel. Would you recommend using the clinical grading and or ultrasonography for the diagnostics and treatment planning of hydrodenitis suppurativa based on your research as part of the Italian ultrasound working group? 
clinical grading, uh, I think, is essential in evaluating uh, a, a disease like hydradenitis suppurativa because there are different degrees of severity and consequently different therapeutic approaches. However, the, the use of only clinical evaluation may underestimate the severity of the disease. So, ultrasonography is a non-invasive imaging technique that can improve not only the, the diagnosis and the staging of disease, but also the treatment planning and, and monitoring the, uh, the patient. But uh, ultrasonography is uh, much more useful in a research field. In the real life, it is not easy to, uh, to perform uh, because uh, you need a, a specific training and is, it is also time consuming. Uh, so clinical grading in the real life can be enough, can be enough, but the risk is to underestimate the disease. Uh, however, there is now a method to evaluate the severity of the disease on clinical grounds, whose name is HydraScore. HydraScore that is more precise as the systems takes also into consideration the evaluation of the patient themselves, especially regarding the quality of life. We published recently this article on the JADV, so, oh, I think that this is a new, uh, new tool, eh, a new clinical tool eh, for uh, evaluating better hydradenitis uh, uh, suppurativa, but also uh, ultra ultrasonography, of course, uh, uh, can, uh, can have its role, can have its role, um, but, uh, but uh, it's difficult to, to use in in the real life, uh, in, uh, in, in practical consultations. As one of the authors of the European Dermatology Forum, S1, guideline on the diagnosis and treatment of sclerosing diseases of the skin, what would you highlight as the most crucial aspects when diagnosing and treating morphea, systemic sclerosis, scleromyx edema and scleroedema? These are diseases characterized by sclerotic hardening of the skin and also internal tissues such as lung, kidneys, which tend to lose their normal function. They are very difficult disease to cure and that is the reason why we have created guidelines because the therapy is very difficult. Scleroderma is the cornerstone, but there are other sclerosing disorders such as scleromyxedema or scleredema, which must be distinguished from scleroderma because they are different diseases and because the therapy is different. In particular, 
the disease I have dedicated myself and my studies is a sclero-myxedema, which is a fibromucinosis in which, in addition to sclerosis, a mucoid, jelly, jelly-like substance accumulates into the skin and into the tissues, for which there was no effective treatment, at least until now. The important message we are giving in the publication, the important message is that, is that we can now treat and control scleromyxedema with immunoglobulin infusions that allow patients to return to an almost normal life because scleromyxedema is a, a, very, uh, a very bad disease. Eh? Yeah. Uh, however, the therapy must be continued for a long time. Otherwise, scleromyxedema tends to relapse. But it is very important to, to finally have found a, a therapy that works. Eh? Uh, one, one cycle of infusion sometimes is enough, is enough eh? to, to allow the patients uh, to return to an almost normal life. Eh? Uh, because scleromyxedema is, is a severe disease eh? with a severe impairment of uh, life, of the normal uh, life function. What are the newest therapeutic recommendations for sexually transmitted molluscum contagiosum based on the 2020 European guideline on the management of genital molluscum contagiosum? Um, molluscum contagiosum is a benign contagious, eh, as the, the term suggests, <laughs> viral disease that can be sexually transmitted in adults. The guidelines are focused on the management of molluscum contagiosum. There are many therapeutic options, including physical treatments, such as cryotherapy, curettage, cautery, that we, we use the most in, in my unit, mm -hmm. in my clinic. Then we have topical chemical treatments. However, waiting uh, spontaneous uh, re resolution, as it, it can occur, can be also a choice. But uh, I prefer personally to treat the lesions because it is an, infect, an infectious disease, mm -hmm. <laughs> according also to the wish of patients after a good explanation. But I prefer to treat. But spontaneous resolution, wait and see, and wait and see approach is also a method, a method because molluscum contagiosus can solve spontaneously. But sometimes it takes many months or years. Mm -hmm. So I prefer to treat patients. Right. For severe 
relaxing molluscum contagiosum, especially in immunocompromised patients, eh, we must treat mm -hmm. eh, the patients. Eh, and we uh, have to use, in this case, in this setting, antiviral treatments. Mm -hmm. It is also important to screen patients with molluscum uh, contagiosum uh, for other sexually transmitted infections. Right. But patients must be evaluated on a case-by-case on a case-by-case -case basis. Eh? A flow chart uh, to, uh, to follow this uh, therapeutic recommendation uh, is also published in, uh, in this article and dermatologists, if they like, may follow eh, this kind of uh, flow chart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to switch gears, and of course I'm going to talk about the uh, topic of the year, um, uh, COVID-19, of course. Um, topic of the year, yes. <laughs> hopefully, topic of the year, not of the decade. Uh, COVID nineteen in dermatology and the management of psoriasis during during the pandemic in Italy. You've significantly contributed to our knowledge about the implications of COVID nineteen on dermatology. For example, you recently published a letter about what the differences are from a dermatological viewpoint between mm -hmm. SARS CoV, uh, MERS CoV, and COVID nineteen. Could you explain to us the, the difference on a dermatological perspective between these diseases? Many acronyms, eh? COVID, SARS, <laughs> <laughs> MERS. Oh, yes, in addition to the actual pandemic uh, of COVID-19, two sister zoonotic global coronavirus outbreaks have occurred, which are SARS and MERS. SARS starting in China, MERS starting in Saudi Arabia. The pathologic manifestations of the three diseases, especially those related to the pulmonary disorder, are more or less similar. Mm -hmm. So COVID-19 is much more transmissible and cause more deaths. However, from a dermatological point of view, which is uh, our interest, the most relevant difference between COVID-19 and SARS and MERS, the two sisters, coronavirus diseases, is the lack of reports of skin manifestation in the latter. Mm -hmm. There are no reports about skin manifestation in SARS and MERS. Eh? On the contrary, there are a, a, a lot, a overflood of publications on skin manifestations related to COVID-19 going from uh, uh, chillblain-like lesions to exanthematic eruptions. There, there, we can hypothesize some reasons for for uh, this uh, uh, difference. Uh, COVID-19 first be became a global concern, stimulating a lot of dermatological research. A moreover, a large amount of uh, therapies have, have, used, have been used for COVID compared 
to SARS and MERS, eh? and many skin manifestations of COVID-19 uh, are also related to the drug intake, oh, wow. eh? not mm-hmm. only to the virus itself. Finally, it is also possible that SARS-CoV-2, eh, the actual pandemic, has a more tropism for the skin. There is much more to know about about, uh, uh, COVID-19, but we cannot learn from the experience of uh, the previous corona epidemics because uh, there is an absolute lack of reports. Okay. It is only with this new epidemic that dermatologists are exploring this new important chapter. Okay, so how did COVID-19 impact the management of biological therapies for patients with chronic plaque psoriasis in Italy? Um, COVID-19 in Italy was was one of the first uh, European countries eh, to face the, the, the infection outside the mainland China. Mm-hmm. Uh, the correct uh, management of patients who are under treatment with uh, biologics, with biological drugs, is one challenging situation during COVID pandemic. The problem was, and still is, should biologics in psoriatic patients be continued or stopped, Mm -hmm. the executive committee of Italian society to which I belong developed a sort of easily accessible emergency vademecum addressed to both dermatologists and patients. The vademecum confirms that actually there is no evidence that Uh, treatment, discontinuation of biologics uh, protects toward the infections. Mm -hmm. Uh, These approaches has been subsequently proposed also by other international uh, society. Uh, uh, In addition, we uh, fully agree with the suggestions uh, to stop treatment with uh, when uh, in, in um, uh, patients uh, on biological therapy, uh, uh, when patients become uh, positive for COVID-19. So if they are not positive, we still continue the, the biologic treatment. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, if they become positive, uh, our suggestion is to stop the treatment and, and see and see what happens because biological drugs can uh, can have uh, some kind of uh, can give some problem uh, about the immune system. Right. So we we must be aware uh, about this situation. But I we I think that our suggestions are are good mm-hmm. to take uh, into consideration eh? and not to stop uh, therapy if patients uh, are not positive uh, is, is a good suggestion. Eh? But following with what you just said, it looks like we're pretty well into a second wave. 
there's more awareness, there's more testing, but also a lot of fatigue from, from uh, patients, and I can imagine as well, dermatologists. But, you know, in the first wave, we saw that patients were hesitant to see their dermatologists, and some were even resistant to continue their therapies, as, as we discussed. Do you think it's still the case? Do you think people have a better, uh, better mindset to continue their appointments with dermatologists? Or do you think people are still hesitant to, to go to the doctor now? This is a problem. Uh, actually, actually, for instance, in, in my clinic, uh, we uh, can make a consultation only for patients with, uh, uh, with, uh, uh, um, with, with, uh, uh, how, how can I say with emergency problems? Okay. Mm-hmm. That that means uh, that means tumors or severe disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, while we, we have to postpone all the other consultations, mm-hmm. and this is a problem. And this is a problem be, because we are running the risk eh, to uh, to uh, uh, underestimate. Eh, skin diseases that can be fatal, like melanoma, for instance, because right. patients uh, don't come uh, to, to show us a melanoma. If the doctor who discover melanoma during uh, a, a consultation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so actually there is a, a, a problem uh, about, uh, about consultation uh, uh, because uh, uh, we are forced only to, to visit uh, 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 patients uh, uh, who are in emergency situation, uh, 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 postponing uh, the, the rest of uh, consultation that I think uh, uh, is, uh, is not uh, 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 good situations. Uh, and also, but, but, but we actually we use uh, a lot telemedicine. Right. That means uh, we are trying to reach uh, our patients uh, whom we uh, we cannot see in mm-hmm. in person mm-hmm. uh, in person uh, with uh, with uh, uh, telemedicine. Uh, uh, and, and I think this is an important tool in such a, a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, to uh, to 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 reach the patients uh, to to avoid that uh, many uh, important uh, skin diseases such melanoma eh, mm-hmm. uh, couldn't couldn't uh, uh, be diagnosed well and uh, if if you don't mind if we can walk back uh, a little bit so it was december uh, we see that there is a virus uh, spreading in in wuhan china at this point Nobody knows that Italy is going to be the epicenter in Europe. Um, but as a doctor, were you, when this was coming in, in China, were you talking with other dermatologists? Was there, was, when did you guys have an idea that this might be uh, beyond an epidemic, that it might become a pandemic? Uh, the, the idea was, uh, was in March, mm-hmm. at, at least in Italy, when we, we saw... Uh, we saw uh, an incredible number of people dying uh, in, in, in the hospital. Uh, there, there was uh, no place in the obituary. Right. In March and April uh, was uh, something incredible that 
that we as doctors have never seen before. And mm -hmm. The obituary wa was plenty of, of, of dead people and there was no place. Eh? Uh, and, uh, and we saw uh, on, on TV uh, military trucks eh? <laughs> trying to collect the, uh, the coffins of dead peoples. Taking it, taking all the coffins in another place, mm -hmm. because the number was was so high that that we we couldn't deal with with such a situation, and and so we understand the severity, the incredible severity coronavirus, and now actually we are facing the second the second. Epidemic, eh? right? Uh, mm -hmm. People dying are are now still increasing in mm -hmm. in our hospital, eh? and and so we are very concerned about this this second second wave of 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 epidemic. Mm -hmm. Where were you in March when when the first uh, when the pandemic hit Italy? Were you in Cagliari? No, I was in Cagliari. I was in Cagliari. And I remain in Cagliari mm -hmm. because, in anyhow, Cagliari was a relatively spared area. Mm -hmm. We don't have so many cases like in the uh, in the North mm -hmm. Italy. Mm -hmm. Our cases are are limited. We have, of course, we have patients. We. Uh, our hospital is not a COVID-19 unit. We have a, a special hospital dedicated only to COVID-19 disease. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and eventually we, uh, we are uh, asked to do consultations uh, mm -hmm. for patients when they have uh, skin manifestations. But uh, Cagliari, Sardinia is a relatively spared area mm -hmm. from COVID-19. So, how is your experience regarding your role as an associate editor of the JADV? Being an associate editor was, was and continues to be a great experience and a reason of satisfaction, but it's also a big task, a lot of work. As the importance of JADV grown, grown up in the dermatological world thanks to the to the uh, great work of the editor and the extraordinary team of the journal uh, the articles have also grown exponentially uh, especially the pandemic related to covid-19 literal literally uh, flooded the editorial staff with many many papers. We, therefore, had to make an increasing, increasingly stringent, stringent selection eh? and try to keep only the most important uh, papers, both to continue to guarantee the high level achieved and to keep the impact factor eh, as higher as possible. It is also not always easy to find good and fast reviewers to ensure uh, publication speed as well. Eh? Uh, 
not an easy task. Uh, once a resident of mine asked me how a professor can be can become can I become an editor or associate editor of such an important newspaper? Uh, I told him, uh, uh, my friend, there is no school uh, for this. There is no school to become editor or associate editor. You have to work hard, build a good reputation, eh? try. You have to. You have to try to, to get a skill in some specific dermatological field, but at the same time have a general view of dermatology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And which memories related to the JDV you hold the dearest? First memory is when Johannes Ring, the editor, gave me a phone call from Germany to Italy asking me if I was interested to be to become his associate editor so this is my first memory then currently the one of the dearest memory is when the journal reached gets the fifth place in the ranking of dermatological journals with the highest impact factor uh, we started out uh, that the paper was uh, behind the top 10, 11. Uh, and now we are fifth. Uh, so this is a, a great result that uh, fills with uh, satisfaction. Yes, great achievement. In your opinion, what makes publishing in the JADV special? It is, uh, uh, it is common to... For, for instance, to hear my Italian colleagues who are very happy and proud when they publish on, uh, on the journal, on the GADV, because they know that uh, their work, their paper, will be read by a large group of dermatologists. Uh, and therefore, they have not worked in vain. Eh? Our goal is to increase the joy and pride of publishing in our newspapers, in our, in our JADV, uh, always keeping the quality level as high as possible. If you could send a message to every fellow dermatologist or every dermatologic patient, what would you say? To every fellow, I like to say, stay hungry, stay foolish. <laughs> that means... <laughs> Never be content of what is and don't consider yourself an expert because there is always something to learn. However, this statement has been already said but by someone who is more important, who was <laughs> more important than me. So I want to say to, to, to every fellow, uh, follow the passion and not just the desire to earn money. Money are important, of course, but more important is to do a job we like most, because we are spending most of our lives, lives at work. Remember that we do an important job, we heal people. The sensation of waking up in the morning, 
and being happy to go to work, to do what we wanted to do in life is priceless, is priceless. I wake up every morning happy to have chosen to be a dermatologist. Moreover, I, I want to say, try to be a good dermatologist in making the most appropriate diagnosis. For this goal, uh, is very important, is mandatory, uh, a good clinico-pathological correlation. So you need to know both the clinic and the histopathology. That is my expertise. And not just one of the two. It's like playing tennis eh, with forehand and backhand. <laughs> if you play only with one shot, uh, uh, you cannot be a, a, a good player. To the patients, to the patients, I, I want to say that dermatologist is not only the specialist of cosmetology and aesthetics, air and aging, as some people think. The dermatologist is the specialist who deals with even serious, potentially fatal diseases, such as melanoma. And the dermatologist is a specialist who can diagnose internal diseases through the signs of the skin, because the skin is the window of our body. Great messages. Professor Rondoletti, thank you very much for the interview today. Thank you again. Thank you again. It was my pleasure to, to see you and talk, uh, and talk to you. Eh? Have a good day. Eh? And... Uh, See you soon in, in person, I hope, and not uh, online. <laughs> we can't wait. Thank you, Professor Rangioletti. That was Professor Franco Rangioletti. Now, earlier in the interview, he mentioned HydraScore. If you would like to read the article, it's available in the August 2020 issue of the Journal of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology with the title creation of a severity index for hydrodenitis superativa that includes a validated quality-of-life measure, the HYDRA score. And that's it for this episode. We've enjoyed having you as our audience, and we look forward to bringing you more research and interviews in the near future. Until then, take care of your skin.